Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. If you're uh, ready, why don't you open your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 13? The book of Acts in chapter 13. We've been uh, going through for, feels like quite a while now. This is the story of the early church. This is the story of the early church. This is the story of what happened in between Jesus. And right now, this is like the first part of that story. This is like the church season one. And uh, we've been going through it week by week. And I'm excited about what is in the message today. Uh, the title of the message today is how and when to use righteous anger. Tell the message today is how and when to use righteous anger. Uh, it's from the book of Acts 13. We're going to get to that in just a moment. We oftentimes come to this intersection in life where something like this appears in our minds. I'm feeling angry. Should I do something about it? I don't think I need to tell you that every statistic that could be kind of cultivated around anger is that we are living in a time and an age where people seem to be angrier than ever and it seems to just be rising. Do we notice? I was just watching this morning, uh, you know you're getting old when you watch Saturday Night Live like the next morning when it comes on YouTube because you can't stay up that late. And I was watching and the opening of Saturday Night Live last night was a skit called uh, I Bet I Can Make You Snap. And it was just really funny uh, and if that you know, bothers you or whatever, that's uh, okay. But it, the whole point of the thing was they were telling people news stories and then just waiting until they freaked out was the bit, which tells you that the, even the culture knows that people are angrier than ever. People are angry at the government. People are angry at the other political party. People are angry at their employer. People are angry at billionaires. People are angry at immigrants. People are angry at people in other countries. People are angry at uh, sports referees. Oh, my goodness. People are angry at, uh, at youth sports coaches. People are angry at people all over the place. And we see this rise in this and it's because we don't know how to answer the question properly. I'm, I'm feeling angry. Should I do something about it? The, the feeling is a separate thing. Feelings, are, for the most part, are pretty natural in situations. It's the what should I do about it thing. And I see here in the book of, uh, I'll show you, at the last part of our story for today, uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the most significant leaders in the history of the church, says to another person this paragraph. He says, you son of the devil. Strong opening, I would say. Strong opening, yep. Very like Facebook comment section vibe. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So Paul was seeing something. I'm going to show you the story. We're starting at the end. We're going to go backwards. Paul says that to a person, anger. 
and intensity. And it's filled with the Holy Spirit and righteous. The solution to anger is not to not be angry. It's to know what to be angry about, when to speak, when not to speak, when to do something, when not to do something. That is what requires wisdom. So uh, I want to teach you the story in a second, but just a little bit of biblical overview. In the book of James, this is a famous verse, which is a guide for a lot of people. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be three things, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is the favorite verse often of, uh, young, of parents with young children in the home because we're trying to teach our kids all the time to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But that last part in that verse is giving you a clue as to why things are so messed up in our culture today. The anger of man, it's not that it doesn't very often. The anger that people have to bring, it, it can't. It does not produce the righteousness of God. No matter how much you're feeling and what you do with what you're feeling, you can't make the culture have to be a certain way all of a sudden. Uh, Proverbs 21 has a similar idea where this is a great verse. It says, whoever keeps his mouth and keeps his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So there's this common biblical caution to not speak at the wrong time. Yet we see in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus uh, when he surveys and sees the way that church has been made into a place of commerce. Uh, we see Jesus show up and uh, we might have the verse, we might not. We see Jesus show up in, the, in this place and he starts saying, how dare you? You've made my house not a house of uh, prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And then he throws the tables over and like kind of just causes a ruckus in the place. And that's Jesus, and we know that Jesus cannot do the wrong thing. So it leads us to this intersection where we see that we must have wisdom to know when to speak, when not to speak, when my anger is something to push down, when my anger is to do something about. That's what the message is about today, and I want to show it to you in Acts chapter 13. Now I'm just going to teach you the whole, uh, the whole story verse by verse. If you're there and you're ready, say ready. ready. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch, verse 1, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, a man and a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want to show you four, four questions that are going to guide you in how to know uh, when to know and how to use your righteous anger. The first question is this, am I in community and under authority? Am I in community and under authority? I have to answer that question properly before I can use righteous anger. So we see here in Acts 13 and verse 1, we're talking about the church at Antioch. We've been studying that in the weeks past. The church in Antioch was the church that was sent by God to accomplish the mission of taking the good news not just to the Gentiles, uh, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So there were five guys that we see there, five guys that get listed. We see Barnabas, who was a Jew. We see uh, Saul, who was uh, Barnabas, who was a Gentile. Saul, who was a Jew. Simeon, who was called Niger. He, that means he was an African. We see uh, Lucius of Cyrene, which some people think is Luke's way of uh, putting himself in the story. That's like might be Luke's way of putting himself in the story. And then we see uh, Manon, which says he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which means 
Uh, he had a relationship to the king of the area. He was a powerful and wealthy man. It's just another way Paul is going out of his way all the time and Luke are to showing us that the gospel is not just for one person, it is for everyone. So we see five people there, and they're all kind of different kinds of people that are leaders in this church. And it says there in the second verse that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they were doing the thing that they were supposed to do, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, I want Barnabas and Saul to go out to the work that I've called them to do. Notice this, this is in the text, notice this, that God, God speaks through obedience. Notice that God speaks through obedience. God spoke to them in a special way while they were doing the thing that they were supposed to do. Uh, so often, we, I'll be with, uh, meet with somebody or talk to somebody, and they're like, I'm really praying for this to happen, or I really want this to happen, or I'm really hoping for this to happen. And, uh, All right, Rick, uh, me and you, man, I, I'm just going to be honest. We're about, the whole service is about to end. So I love you. I'm really sorry. I'm doing my best not to seem distracted. You know how much I love you. If we can't get that sorted out, we got to do something. I love you, all right? Get the man some water or something. I'm trying my hardest to be nice, but I'm losing track, and I'm fumbling my senses. All right. Get the man some water. Somebody, somebody. So the title of the message today, let me just start over. Let me just start over. Uh, so what we want to notice is this. God speaks to people who are already obeying him most often. We want often God to show up, but we're not willing to do what he wants us to do to allow him to show up. People will say so often, my friend Johnny is here, uh, as I mentioned earlier, and Johnny and I have walked through some times together. We were trying to discern what the Lord wanted. We're trying to make a decision, trying to figure out what to do. And when I'm making a, a decision, the first step is to do what God has already asked me to do. He gave you a whole book, and I have a really thick one that I'm holding right now. And before you ask God to give you a special revelation, a really good way to go forward is to make sure you're already doing all the stuff that he already told you to do. Simple. God speaks through obedience. Notice also that what we see here is leadership and the community and the Holy Spirit all aligned, which is how we know that this is a God-ordained task. We see it in verse 3. They were fasting, they were praying, and then the church laid hands on them and sent them off. So it says, verse 4, because they were sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. You guessed it. We found a map for you in church today. Everybody loves the maps. Check this out. This is a description of where they went and what they did. So you can see here over the left, uh, far left of the screen as I'm looking at it, um, far left on your side, you can see that's the kind of modern day Greece. We're over here into the uh, Holy Land. And you see how they come off from Antioch to Cyprus, which is obviously still a place, an island. And then they're about to go on this journey into Asia. This is a part of the world where if you meet somebody from it, you know. You're like, Do you know how you know if you met a Greek person? You've been talking to them for more than 30 seconds because they, they told you, you know, it's like... This is it. One more, one more. If you meet someone who's Greek, if you meet someone who's Greek and a vegan and also does CrossFit, which one do they tell you about in the first sentence after you meet? Them? No. Okay, that's it. That was it. That was just two. Just two. That's why they're proud. That's why they're proud because they are on the maps from what happened in the Bible. That doesn't seem like a big journey to us, but in this day and time, to go off to another place on a boat, who knows if we'll ever make it back? The church commissioned these people and sent them out. And as I'm trying to decide is my anger when I'm feeling angry? 
Is it godly anger? Is it something I should do something about? I should be asking the question, am I in community? And then am I under authority? Most of the worst decisions that you and I make are decisions made from isolation. This is why during the COVID era, and especially the beginning of the lockdown, so many people were struggling more with substances, more with self-harm, more with suicide. So many bad things were happening. Why? Because we don't make our best decisions by ourselves. Most often in isolation, we make our best decisions when we talk to people we trust and say, hey, I just, I'm feeling kind of, just tell me, like, am I, am I off base here? Am I? That's what's happening here. The whole church was like, you know what? Yeah, these guys need to go. These guys need to go. God is calling them out. We see the lines of authority there uh, very clear. And we live in a day and a time where most often people have no thought that anyone other than them should have any authority over them. If I don't like my boss, I'm out. I'm going to find a new job. If my parents start to annoy me, I'm out. I'm going to find a new job. If my, the person I'm dating or the person I'm engaged to or the person I'm married to tries to influence me, buzz off. I'm my own person. I'm doing my own thing. Me and my little self-cultivated group of Instagram influencers that I follow, we are doing our own thing. We view so often in the world today uh, authority as something bad or something to get past so we can do whatever we want. But a true understanding of authority is it is a blessing to you and to me. Having people around us who can help us make wise decisions helps us. So that question is a question I need to answer. We're going to keep going through the text now. Look at verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that's John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was there to assist them. This is Paul's pattern. We're going to see it over and over in the book of Acts. He goes first to preach to the Jews and then to preach to the Gentiles. Now, it says, when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Pause there. You and I hear magician, and you might think, like, uh, I'm, like, at the boardwalk or at Navy Pier, and there's a guy, like, doing card tricks, and he's got, like, nine good minutes of content, and he's got a hat out in front, and I'm hoping that he, you know, he's, like, doing that one with the shells, or he, like, you know, pulls a ball out of a hat that you couldn't see. That's what we think, magician. But in the ancient world, a magician was someone who gave the impression of having uh, power from God. They were highly respected people. So they came upon there a certain magician... He was a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. The proconsul would be the person who was in charge uh, of that area under the authority of Rome. So it's a magician and this person who is a high political leader. This man, Sergio Paulus, the proconsul, he was a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. I'll read you just the next section, and then we'll go back and teach it to you. But Alimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, verse 8, he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked intently and said to him, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So this is the turn where so you can see what happens. Uh, there's this magician. Now, if this magician was in relationship with this political leader, he was probably deriving power, probably deriving uh, financial income, certainly status in society. And all of a sudden, this guy is kind of like, I'm not so sure about this magician thing. I'd like to hear these guys tell me about God. 
Now the magician doesn't like it and he's all of a sudden going to step in the middle. Why? Because he doesn't want to lose influence. He doesn't want to lose power. And Paul is faced with the decision of how to handle this situation. And the way that he decides to handle it is straight on telling this guy, no, we're not going to, no, 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 you're, you're acting like the devil right now and you need to get away and you need to let this guy hear about the word of God. As these intersections happen, Paul feeling angry, but he's under the power of the Holy Spirit and so he uses this anger for God's purpose. That's what we're trying to answer in this message. How do I know how to use that anger? Here's uh, question two I should ask. Do I have firsthand knowledge of the situation and qualification to speak? Because Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he was standing right there, he was the right person to speak and to use the anger of God that can produce the righteousness of man. The anger of man can't produce the righteousness of God, but the anger of God can produce the righteousness of man, do you see? And so often the reason why when we feel angry, we make the wrong choice is we get involved in circumstances or situations where we don't really know what happened and thus are not very qualified to speak. Let's uh, pause for just a second here in the middle and try to get on the same page. Who would say, uh, we're going to vote in just a second, who would say that you're uh, more likely to speak first and think later? Who would say you're kind of more on that side of the Track a few people. Awesome. Shana, definitely. Yep. I thank you. Yes. Okay. And who would say, uh, who would say, who would say like, I'm more like probably not likely to ever speak up about much at all. Who would say you're more on that side of the track? Yeah. Yeah. They're not as likely to raise their hands because they don't want to be noticed or seen. Right. And so we have to know, we have to know our proclivity, our instinct, because if we're a person who want, who in our anger wants to step forward, we see that in every situation. And if we're a person who honestly loves any justification to not have to step forward, we see that in every situation. It's like uh, when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And so what we see here is that Paul has firsthand knowledge and qualification to speak because he is right in the middle of the situation. Proverbs 18, 17 perfectly illustrates this. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The one who states his case first, keyword, seems right until the other comes and examines him. Uh, I've learned this many times over as a parent. Uh, lots of you I know, I have three boys, 13, 11, and 9. And uh, if there's a loud sound somewhere during I'm, my preaching, it's probably them somewhere. And I learned this a long time ago, especially when they were younger, that when something bad happens, you know, when like a toy breaks or somebody accidentally opens a soda in the basement or whatever <laughs> thing happens, you can always tell what's about to happen by the one who comes running, right? Dad, 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 it wasn't me. It's always a bad start. Dad, dad, it was Carter, and I told him not to open the pot, but he was just kind of like playing with the handle, and then he opened it, and then he took a sip. Dad, 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 it wasn't my fault at all, it was his fault. And then, like, you know how it goes, right? Right about the time that the first one is done, or finishing, like, the middle of their speech, then you hear another one coming. No, 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 that's not true at all. Carter's lying. Carter's reads lying, Dad, reads lying, reads lying. It's not how it happened at all. He was the one, he told me to open it. He told me to open it. I didn't know that Mom said not to open it, but he told me to open it. And so then I opened it, but I didn't know I was doing the wrong thing. Dad, 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 dad. This is the cycle. Goes on, goes on, goes on, goes on, goes on. Because the one who states his case first seems right. Then when you hear the other side of the story, you're like, oh, wait, maybe there's a little more to it than that. And so the reason why Paul is the right person to speak here is he has firsthand knowledge and he is qualified to speak about the gospel. One of the reasons so many people of faith find their voice unable to be heard in a culture is so many people of faith speak loudly 
about things that they don't really know very much about at all. Got a few amens and a few angry looks. All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. But the reason is, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So we have Jesus, right? We know about Jesus. I know about Jesus. I've met Jesus, and I've, I believe a lot about him. But that does not necessarily make me uniquely qualified to know about the school system or traffic or uh, policing or government, really, of any way. It makes me, the older I get, I don't know about you, I feel like I know like a lot about a couple things and almost nothing about anything else. And there is this thing in people of faith where we struggle not to believe that because we know the truth about heaven and hell, we start to think that we must know the truth about everything else. And sometimes it makes us not the best neighbors, and sometimes it makes us not the easiest people to get along with, and we would do a lot better with our anger at the culture to know that when we're talking about heaven and hell, well, that's the next part, I guess, is what I'm saying. That's the third question I have to answer. Are the stakes life and death? The reason why Paul speaks to the magician and the proconsul with such aggression and anger is because the matter at hand is whether this person is going to find Jesus and escape hell and go to heaven. He's not wasting his aggressive, intense energy about something that he can't really speak about. Uh, I made a list. I think here's three categories that are things worth speaking about. One, it is worth speaking about if we're discussing heaven or hell. I don't take joy in this reality, but the truth from my Bible as I read it is every person who is walking this planet past, present, and future will one day meet God at judgment. And there is a path from there. Those who know Jesus, believe in his resurrection, and have been forgiven of their sin by Jesus Christ, those people are going to heaven. And those who don't know him will spend eternity in hell. That isn't something that should make us like, oh, cool, I'm on the good team. If we had a true conception of what awaited those who don't know Jesus, we would be a lot more aggressive in trying to share it with those who don't know him yet. But it is the truth. We've talked about this before. That's something that we cannot afford, dear friends, to be kind of like in between or uncertain about or kind of back on our heels about. So when that subject comes into the middle of the table in conversation, when what is making you angry is about someone making it to heaven or hell, that is something worth speaking about because in all true literal reality, eternity is in the balance. It is also worth speaking about uh, when it's a matter of life or death. If you ever have that experience of knowing that someone is really depressed or really struggling or really cycling down and then experiencing them trying to do something drastic to hurt themselves about it, you promise yourself when you get to that intersection, if I'm not sure about it, I'm just going to get in my car and drive to wherever they are and make sure they're okay. I'm just going to keep calling their phone till they answer. If you go through that one time, you tell yourself, I'm not, why is that worth raising a ruckus about? Because that's a matter of life or death. If you're not sure if someone's going to make it till tomorrow, you do whatever you have to do to make sure they make it till tomorrow. That's something worth speaking about. A third, I would say, and this is close to that, it's worth speaking about decisions with unalterable consequences. I uh, have a friend. We were driving in a car one day. This was this year, and we were driving in a car one day, and he just kind of said to me, I wish that any of the people in my life who knew I was marrying the wrong person could have stepped up and told me 
before I wasted 10 years and we both hurt each other a lot. That's serious stuff. But so some of us, because we're not one who wants to speak, we're one who doesn't want to make it awkward, you know, we, we feel uncomfortable, like, then we just hope for the best and kind of stand over here. Please don't, friends, be that person who shows up when the whole thing falls apart later and be like, I, I knew you two were never going to make it. I, I knew. It's like, really unhelpful. Like, super unhelpful? Super unhelpful? If you have something to say, say it, like, when you can still do something about it and don't show up with that. Like, that's really, I mean, I'm not one for stoning, but pretty brutal. I could see it coming back for that infraction alone. We just, that was a joke. If, if someone that you care about they're making, you're angry about a path you see them walking down. God wants you to speak. He wants you to speak in the right way, and he wants you to speak in the right time, and he doesn't want you to hurt the person. That's what we're going to talk about in a second. As you speak, but if you say you care and you're feeling angry about a path that you see, yeah, God wants you to do something about it. If it's a decision with unalterable consequences. So what Paul says here, we're almost getting close to done now. This is my favorite part is still ahead. Paul says, now behold, verse 11, back to the text. The hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So Paul says, dude, you're really not like, it's not good what you're doing. You're trying to get in the way of this guy who's finding faith. We're just going to make you blind for a minute. And it says, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went out about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Question four that I need to answer, and I want to show you how Paul does it here. Am I advocating for God's redemptive purpose? Now, if you've been paying close attention as you've been reading your Bible, when Paul says to this guy right here, you're going to be blind for a little while, what is Paul doing? Well, when Paul met Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, the brightness of Jesus made him blind. And so for Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to tell someone, you're going to be blind now, it might sound to our ears like he's trying to judge him. But what he's actually doing is trying to recreate for this person the experience that got his attention and brought him to faith. Think about how powerful that is. See, if when we're angry... We cannot be speaking for God unless our hope at the end of speaking is that the person is healed, whole, blessed, helped, picked back up, and going the right direction. If it's not towards God's redemptive purpose, it is the anger of man. It is not the righteousness of God. So often people of faith get it right when it comes to speaking and get it wrong when it comes to what happens after that. If you decide to speak up to a person, let's say you know a friend, and you have a friend, and this friend is running around on the person that they're married to, and you say, I know about this, and this needs to stop, and that's not the promise you made, and it's all going to break, you're not volunteering to pour a bucket of shame on that person and walk away. You're volunteering to walk with them every step of the way until the thing gets fixed again. So often, people walk away hurt, in pain, it's broken, all this stuff, because... uh, we participate in something, I would call it punishment theater. Punishment theater is an attempt to appease outsiders through impressive brutality. So that's like, they got divorced, and so now I'm going to prove to them how serious I am about marriage 
by how I won't be their friend anymore and I'm going to unfollow them and I'm not going to invite them to the party and they're not involved anymore and I'm just going to keep walking further and further and further away because I want them to feel pain and feel bad because of the bad thing they did and I want everyone else around in the circle to know how serious I am. Do you see how willing I am to punish them? That's not the good news. That's the bad news. An authentic consequence would be the kind of opposite side of that. An authentic consequence is an attempt to help a broken person through patient truth. And you have to understand the difference if you want to know how to use your anger for what God wants. You have to understand the difference. So, uh, we all get angry sometimes. If you're a parent, we get angry. Johnny, do you ever get angry? Get your kids. Brian, you ever get angry at your kids? I see you two in the front row. Yeah, you ever get angry? Do you ever, uh, do you ever get angry at the people that you work with? Anybody? Yes. Anyone ever survey just the world out there? And I mean, every week, every day, there's a new news story that comes around. And does anyone have that experience of like telling yourself, I'm just not going to look at the news anymore. I'm just not going to pay attention to anymore. I'm just, I'm not going to do anymore. Because why? Because you get tired of being angry. And when we see things that make us angry, we have this choice. This choice is, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to step up and say something? Or am I going to, is this not the time? Am I supposed to just roll away from the anger and not do something about it? And we see here in this text these three questions that I think help us. These four questions that I think help us. Uh, first, am I in community and under authority? It is unlikely that God wants you to speak if you're the only person around you that thinks what you think. Every once in a while, but for the most part, this is what relationships are for and people are for. Hey, that thing over there, that really like is making me angry. Am I crazy or do you see it the way I see it? Those are the kinds of questions we should be asking. Uh, two, do I have firsthand knowledge and qualification to speak? One of the reasons why uh, the COVID age made so many people so angry is a lot of people got their voices really loud who really had no qualification or reason to speak. I know I could see y'all wincing. Let's not talk about what you think about masks anymore either. <laughs> ever again, maybe that would be good. Three, are the stakes life or death? If I'm talking or getting angry about something that God isn't angry about, I'm on my flesh and not on his spirit. And then four, am I advocating for God's redemptive purpose? See, at the end of this story, here, Brian, Johnny, come on, you guys are in the sermon just quick. Lance couldn't be bothered to show up today, so I had to find new people to help. <laughs> So let's just say for a second, uh, in this story, Brian, you're, uh, you're the magician, and, and Johnny, you're the proconsul. So Paul's right here. Do you see what Paul is doing? Paul is trying to share the good news with someone who God really cares about, because every person God really cares about. He doesn't just care about the people who found him when they were kids or people who've lived a really moral life. God loves everyone. And when Paul is speaking... This magician steps in the middle and is trying to make the thing not work. He's trying to block him from hearing. He's trying to keep the thing from happening. And so Paul uses the anger of God to say, get out of the way. Why? Because do you see it right there at the end of the story? The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was, I love that word, astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When God decides to open someone's eyes, when God decides to work in someone, nothing can stop it. 
But sometimes he places us at these places where we see an injustice occurring or someone being abused or treated wrongly or something happened that shouldn't be happening. And God gives us these emotions and these voices and these relationships for us to say, no, 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 no. You are not going to get in the way of this person hearing about Jesus. You need to get out of the way because Jesus really cares about this person. And so, so often we see, no, you're still in, you're still in, you're still in. We see two things. We see two things. We see two things, and they both really bother us. It really bothers us when we see people of faith jumping into every fight when it's not a fight that God actually cares about and isn't about someone going to heaven or not. It also should really grieve us when we see people of faith just kind of standing by saying, he's kind of a big dude. I'm not sure I could take him if it was like a real fight, so I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to hope that somebody else finds their way over to Johnny. Neither one of those is God's design and God's heart. God wants us to use wisdom to know when we should speak and when we should not, when our anger is sinful anger and needs to be prayed through, and when our anger is righteous anger that something needs to be done of. And we don't need to be people trying to kind of like fix what's broken by pulling the pendulum. God wants us right where we are. He put you in that workplace, in that school, in that family, in that job, in that situation. And he is counting on us to be his representatives in those places. So then the question is, what will we do with it? Why don't you bow your head? And we're going to pray and then we'll be done. So I'm asking, Lord, that this word uh, was clear today. And I'm asking that you would uh, just invade each person around this room. You would be with, in each person's mind right now, Lord, where, where you have given us an opportunity, where you have, where we're angry, and you want us to do something with it, I pray that you would give us courage to step up and where it's not of you, I pray you'd give us wisdom to stand down. I'm asking, Lord, that you would continue to help us not to build our thoughts and feelings and beliefs on the flimsy stuff of the world, but on your rock, who Jesus is, the resurrection, the truth. God, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. No one comes to the Father except through. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Give us wisdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come this has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.